It's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022, and you're listening to episode 593 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 37 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Caleb. This is Wayne. I'm Brodor. Quick announcement, and then we're going to get straight to it. For anyone that is either in or willing to travel to the Washington, D.C. area, Brodor, Julia, and I are going to be appearing at WashingCon, which is obviously located in the Washington, D.C. area. And just in case you can't get enough of that name, it is being held at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center, and that is going to be on March 26th and 27th. It is a two-day convention. There's five slots to their con, three on the first day, two on the second. And what we're going to be doing is kind of some chat and improv talk and whatnot for the first slot. And then we're going to be running games for the next four slots over Saturday and Sunday. So I'll put a link to that convention in the show note if you're interested. And hope to see some of you guys there. I will be showing my monkey button at the convention. I don't know what that means, and I'm not going to ask. So I, I think you do. So you know how everyone has a third eye, a, a chakra, right? At the third eye. This is your turd eye, your brown eye, Dan, your monkey button, your boop. I'm going to show mine at the show. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally don't know how to respond to that. I mean, <laughs> seriously, nothing in life up to this point has prepared me. That's why Wayne's not going, by yeah, the way. I hear, hearing that, I'm glad... Yeah, Life this is interrupted why. by being able to go. Yeah, because Wayne was originally going to go with us, and now suddenly I understand why he's not. Maybe I shouldn't be either. <laughs> but well, we're sharing a room, Dan. So no, actually, we're not. Oh wow, really? That's amazing. I think that would. Uh, that means I've... I get to sneak into your bedroom and show you my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> just anyway, don't, just don't live stream that on your new yeah. TikTok. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right, so. What we're going to talk about over the next two episodes is we are intentionally going to take two opposing viewpoints on approaches to creativity because we want to talk about the two ways that you can encourage free thinking and creative ideas in your role-playing games. And we came up with two different models. I'm sure there's a thousand ways to subdivide how you would encourage creativity or how you would approach it. But for this conversation, we came up with two, and we are going to defend one and attack the other this episode. And the next episode, we're going to flip it, and we are going to take the opposite view because both of these views are completely valid. You know, this is not a bad, wrong, fun thing. And the model I decided to go with is right now I'm being put through this certification for cloud computing at work. And in it, they talk about the distinction between horizontal scaling and vertical scaling. All right, now, even if you're not a tech nerd, this is real easy to understand. In horizontal scaling, let's say you have a really big process. You got a lot of data you need to work through, a lot of websites to serve up, whatever it is. In horizontal scaling you add more computers to the process. So instead of one server, you have 10 servers that share the burden. In vertical scaling, instead of adding servers, you just keep beefing up the one server. 
So you take that one server and you say we're going to pack in more processing power, more memory, more disk space, more whatever you can put in there to increase the power of what you're doing. When you look like you're right, either agree with me or correct me, and I'm not sure which. No, I was going to throw in a uh, an analogy for people that aren't tech people. Okay. Let's, let's say it. you need to lift a heavy box. You could either have a bunch of skinny, nerdy white guys to lift it. Between all of them, they'll lift it. Or you can hire Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, to come and he'll just lift it himself. Why, why does it have to be about race, Wayne? Well, white people can't lift boxes? Because white I'm people sit- can't have muscle, Wayne? Is that like, I, I don't know. I think you're. I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of skinny white guys. Hey, <laughs> I'm not that skinny. I got muscles. Compared to me, you are. <laughs> All right. So, how we're applying this to role playing games is when you ask someone to get creative in making a character, and we'll just use character creation as our example here. One of the ways that people oftentimes jump to to get creative is they want to play something weird. If the party doesn't have a wizard, I'm going to play the wizard. And just to keep it more interesting, I'm not going to be a human or an elf or a dwarf. I'm going to be a tiefling or a dragonborn or some other weird thing you picked up from a splat book it's the unicorn complex yes exactly something unique something completely unique the unicorn complex what we've called a freak show Mm -hmm. we've also at one point called it a bouse on this show for beautiful and unique snowflake but you jump to trying to play something weird and the problem with that usually is that people become lazy that the creativity of the character or its uniqueness is so apparent in what it is that oftentimes they get lazy or take a lot of shortcuts in really fleshing out who they are. Because simply being the only dragonborn and only wizard in the party is itself already unique. So it's a sort of horizontal creativity where you're bouncing over to other concepts instead of digging deeper into a single concept. Yeah, so for example, if you were a group of people and somebody is playing a mutant turtle, everything that is interesting about that character has now become the fact that they're a mutant turtle. If, however, the four of us are playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where all four of us are turtles, we have to do something creative to make our turtle not like the other turtles. You mean like actually develop a personality personality and a backstory so the fact that i am the tiefling wizard isn't enough if we're all at the table playing tiefling wizards if we're all tiefling wizards right what is it that sets me apart and for me as a game master that is generally almost always how i start a campaign is i create the box and i say this is the campaign that i want to run here are the parameters that i would like you to consider creating your character inside and then when we sit down for session zero we talk about the box and why the box is important to me and why these restrictions are important because the other way of gaming and again as we said it's not wrong bad it's just to me very tired yeah it's a case of you ask somebody who their character is, if they start giving you class and race, that's what their character is. That's not who the character yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. And I think that when the case of doing everything 
differently and not having those constraints, a lot of times it becomes a shortcut. Okay, my class and my race is who my character is, and then my personality is just based on that. Now, the thought exercise that we were using when we were kicking this around is D&D game, Pathfinder game, whatever, where the person that's running it wants to run a story about a holy order of knights. And so everyone at the table has to play a human paladin of Torm. You may not play anything except something that fits those three criteria. And so now you have to get into this, what we're calling vertical creativity, because you cannot differentiate yourself through something that is otherwise superficial. You now have to really think about who you are and what differentiates you from the guy next to you, who is also a human paladin that follows Storm. Yeah, I mean, think about a group of Knights Templar. Well, they're all different people with different names and different backgrounds and different parents, etc. And so for me, it's sort of exciting to think, all right, I'm playing a paladin of Torm. I have to be a human. Done, done. Now, all of this difficult decision-making is made for me. So now I can explore different things like, okay, well, in this order of paladins, what is it that I do? Am I a hospitaler? Am I a warrior? Am I an archivist, a, a scribe? Uh, you know, do I focus more on, on the healing arts, etc.? I mean, there's so many cool and interesting ways that you as the player, your creativity is challenged because you're all put in this box and the game master said, okay, find something special inside that box. I think that's a really exciting way to build interest and uh, unity in a group. Yeah, it takes away that ability to say, well, I'm the human paladin. Well, okay, well, so is everyone else. Now tell me about your character. Yeah, I mean, the game I'm running currently, you're all freshman students at Miskatonic University in 1953. So you're all human. You're all freshmen. You all are attending Miskatonic University, right? You're all students. Now, well, that sounds very restrictive, except for when you consider how many millions and millions and millions of college students are going to class right now who are completely unique. Yeah, exactly. How many people listening to the show either at one point were or currently are or in a matter of a couple of years will be a paladin. Well, yeah, <laughs> a, a, a human high school student. Right. Right. Now, obviously, not all those people are the same. There is a lot of diversity when we look at the subset of who is a human high school student. And I think contemplating those kinds of distinctions is a good way to start understanding the diversity of characters that you can make, even with what sounds like a rather restrictive set of parameters. I know, I think it was, wasn't it Chad who tried to run a game about dwarves? Yep. And only got one dwarf in the party. Who was me. Yeah. I have to say, and again, I don't know who was in that game. And, and I know that if you're a regular listener to the show, you've heard me rage plenty before. So I'm going to try to take a more mature tack. I think that if your game master, if someone's going to put together the effort, do the work to make a campaign and you show up to their table and you are immediately not just resistant, but defiant at the concept, I think there's a greater issue there that needs to be addressed because I find that it is either 
A, really very disrespectful, or B, you're just so utterly selfish, you're not even considering what this person is trying to do. There's a reason why the Game Master said, I would like to explore this kind of story. And if you're not willing to respect that, I think you're kind of an a- And if your issue is you don't want to be the same thing as everyone else, you're shortchanging yourself. So I look back at the first time I played Battletech. I struggled because I didn't know the study. I didn't know, well, what would make an interesting character? Looking back on it now, what I should have been looking at is, okay, Dan wanted us all to be Silver Scorpions. The group pushed back on that, and we didn't do that. We instead became our own mercenary group. If we would have come in and said, we are part of this group, this is our organization, that is the characters we are playing, then it would have been much more comfortable for me to say, okay, well, what is my personality? I don't need to know what my background was because now I know my background. In the case of not understanding a setting, I think that actually could have really helped me be creative instead of I had all of these options in front of me and my mind locked up. I didn't even know where to start. And I needed something to bring me back to realizing a character is more than the setting the character's in. When it comes down to it, if you can't think of a way to fit identical characters and make them unique, it's a cop-out. If you've ever seen Clone Wars, the cartoon, it's one of the best Star Wars cartoons that are out there. It's a wonderful point. Exactly. They're the same f***ing face. They're all yeah. clones. They're physical <laughs> clones of each other. Yeah. And they have the same background. The exact same background. They all were trained together. They were all lived together. They all did the exact same things together. But every single one of them has personality. And deep personality. And they get real down to the dirty with how that how each individual character has its own person and they start having creating they create creating each other's names afterwards it used to be numbers now no you're you know you're this you're that because they're completely unique characters yeah and what the writers did to themselves was they took away the ability to say who is this character this character is a clone because yeah all the characters are clones now you have to take that off the table and ask yourself again who is this character this guy's got a pew pew forces you to be more creative (laughs) you got a pew pew guy to pew pew guy there's i mean they're identical but they're not. They have no, you know, they have completely different personalities because they are not the same genetics. I mean, they have the same genetics, but they, you know, everyone has a little bit different experience and the personalities are built off of that. Yeah, it's an identical nature. All that changes is the nurture. Right. And even then, it's only nurture past a certain point, because I'm not mistaken. Weren't they rapidly aged? Yeah, they're right. rapidly aged and they and go ca- through the same training program. Yeah. Yeah. But the moment they hit the field... They have different experiences. Yeah, exactly. Well, even, I think, within the context of the training. If you sleep in the bunk farthest at the end versus in the middle, you have a different experience in terms of the noises you're hearing, the things you're seeing, the way you're going through it. And I would assume they'd have to give them some degree of specialized training if there's going to be a medic versus a heavy gunner or (laughs) whatever. And so, I mean, maybe you do get a little bit of diversity there. But, yeah, I mean, you're literally talking at least at the starting point, the exact same person. Yep. They have all the same stats. Your point is so much better because when you started talking, my immediate thought was the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones. And you have all these people that have very different backgrounds that find themselves in this exact same spot. But yours is even a more brilliant point because they're the f***ing same until they're not. Oh, right. 
it, it grew naturally. They all started out pretty similar in their character and their personalities. And over time throughout the series, you saw them expand and grow out of that without being boring. And in fact, it makes it one of the most brilliant cartoon series that Star Wars has ever brought out. I mean, the Rebels was pretty good and some of those others, but I think it's still even better than some of the uh, main trilogies. No, I concur. I mean, there were some episodes early on that were dog but ultimately it was a really very, very good series. Yeah, it was something that Brodor, you were saying that I want to loop back to to reemphasize is in the process of limiting the characters that you can create, something that you're doing, though, on the flip side is enabling types of stories that the game master could not otherwise tell. For example, my preferred D&D setting has always been Forgotten Realms. That's probably because I grew up on the old gold box video games, the vast majority of which were set in Forgotten Realms. But let's say you wanted to do a story about the politics within the Red Wizards of Thay. That would be Did a... Did you crawl into my f***ing wet dreams? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but in order to do that... I choose divination, by the way. I'm the diviner. Y'all can f*** off. I'm the <laughs> diviner. But you have to be... I mean, you could maybe argue, well, I'm a servant or a slave or one of these side things. But look, if we're going to meaningfully tell the story and really explore it the way that I would want to, you're all wizards. And probably all human wizards at that. And you even have similar appearances because the length of your hair, and I believe also the coloration of your robe and such, denotes station and has changed over time. And, you know, I think it's a shorter and shorter haircut the higher up the ranks you get, I believe, until the top ones are completely bald, if I remember my face stuff correctly. It's been a few years. But that's a story that if someone in the group insists on being the drunk dwarven barbarian, I have no idea how I fit that into this context. Well, and I guess for me, and and sorry to interrupt you, but why? Okay, if I'm running a game and everyone has to be Red Wizards, right? Or I'm asking, this is the thing that I want to explore. Why? Why does a player come to the table and insist on playing something so dramatically different? I think it also hamstrings you in some ways, because if you shoot yourself in as a unicorn character or, you know, boss or whatever that you want to call it, you are actually creating yourself. Even if you try to be this unique character, everyone's going to look at you as the barbarian. You're the angry guy. We throw you at the uh, enemy. You know, I I was reading something about somebody turning him to a gaseous form and throwing him at the enemy, uh, sticking him in a bottle and throwing him at the enemy. It's an awesome idea. (laughs) Yeah, the paladin grenade. Yeah, yeah, or the barbarian grenade or whatever you want to call it. The paladin grenade was awesome. I love the idea. The concept is cool, but the biggest thing, you are a this. You're boxed in by the other characters, at least to begin with, because you're starting out, I am the barbarian in this group. Now everyone's going to look at you that way and to start out, it's going to be harder for you to become a unique character like as a personality and a background and all that stuff, because everybody's going to go, well, you're the guy with the big sword. See, for me, my hurdle, honestly, that I have the most difficulty wrapping my head around is if this is what the game master wants to run, if this is the story that we want to tell and everybody else is on board, what is it about the player that says, I need to be this thing that is antithetical to everyone else and to the desire of the person who's doing the lion's share of the work for the game. Yeah, I, you know, and honestly, I'm going to do my best here to be generous to those people. 
but it is very difficult for me to be generous to those people because of the fact that it has been a frustration of mine over the years that I try to run a game that, you know, maybe even has a fair bit of diversity in terms of what you can be, but everybody still wants to push that boundary. No matter how wide I make the boundary, if I say, look, you can be any race, any class, any specialization out of the main handbook, which for a game like 5e or something like that's a lot of things, but someone still insists, no, I want to be the Tabaxi, I want to be this, I want to be that. Like, okay, fine. Well, I'll throw in Volos and I'll throw in Xanthars, and then someone still comes back with, well, I want to be one of the turtle people. I don't remember what the heck they're called out of the book where they are the one. They're called unique- soup, Dan. They come in their <laughs> own bowl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. The villain now is Shredder, and he wins. But it's frustrating because it's like no matter how wide I make that, you always want to push it one step farther. And what does it say about the person? I wonder if to some extent, I mean, maybe it's just the rule of cool. They just see something that's cool that stands out. They live a life that is possibly very boring, very rote. And being something flashy, being something that is unique in a quick glance sort of way They want to be somebody who stands out from the crowd, who does what nobody else can do, who goes where nobody else can go. And maybe that's the attraction to it. In some cases, and this is where I'm going to be a little bit more cruel, I really do think that you may be dealing with a simple insecurity that the person feels if they're not something special, then they aren't special. And so that's the cheap, lazy way they understand it. It all comes down to knowing your player and knowing why they want to do it. You know, there are the people that just feel like in their day-to-day life, they have no freedom to stand out, to be creative. And for them, they only think of creativity as horizontal, not vertical. They're not grasping that they can still be creative within these boundaries because they're told how to do everything during their day-to-day life. What they want out of a game is something unique. They want to be unique. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you just need to know that about your player. Maybe that player is not the right player for that game. I think it may also be a way of trying to garner a certain degree of story. Let me use an example from a Star Trek game that I ran many, many years ago, where everyone in the group was playing what they were supposed to play. They were playing one of the Federation races in a Starfleet ship, normal, regular Starfleet officer, Except one guy wanted to be a Q who was hiding his power, who was presenting himself as human, even though he's a Q, and he'll never use his power, right? (laughs) And it's never going to come up, but he just wants to be this. And I really believe, as I watch this unfold, that part of what he was getting out of this was not just the superficial uniqueness, because since he had to facade himself as human— He didn't have that superficial uniqueness, but the way that he interacted with the stories and the stories that came to him or dealt with him had to be contexted very differently. That the rest of the ship is dealing with this, but as a Q, he's dealing with that. And so it carves out a unique niche of the story that is just for him. Yeah, I love every time you tell that story of it, because I think about how much fun it would be to be that player to be the person playing a cue that has to be a hidden cue and keep it under wraps. We've had this conversation before. You said there are certain players you would trust with it. Yeah. 
if I were pitching that character, the reason I wanted is I wanted to have the history, the knowledge, and I would immediately set up with the GM if it ever comes to the point of the character using its powers, I want the rest of the queue to come in and kill that character. Take it off the table. I want that consequence to be there for that character because I wouldn't want to be a queue to have the power. I would want to be a queue because I want that part of the personality playing into who he is in the game. Yeah. I think it could be really interesting. And I think a lot of other people just want to be the weird guy. Yeah. And obviously, like I said, we're going to flip spaces here. And in the next episode, I will actually defend the idea of playing a Q who never uses their powers. But for the purpose of this episode and the angle we're taking of debate here, I put it under, and I can't remember what the thought exercise was, but there was some guy that postulated, what if there was a a teacup or tea kettle that was floating around somewhere in the solar system and nobody could observe it and it could not affect anything and nothing else was affected by it and nothing else was affecting it, then what is really the difference between this tea kettle existing and it not existing? Effectively, you've erased the entire relevance in the conversation because a world in which it exists and a world in which it don't exist are, as far as we are concerned, fundamentally indistinguishable. And so if you're going to play someone who's a Q, who has to maintain the facade of being human and only do human things and never let it come out that you're a Q and never have any stories about you being a Q. And we keep crossing off one by one every sentence that involves the word Q. Then what's the difference between that and you playing a human who maybe at most has a mental illness where you think you're a Q? It's basically <laughs> a deus ex machina in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. That's really all it but, is. But you're never going to use it. You're never going to touch it. You're, you're never going to bring it into the game. Then what's the difference between that exactly. and a game where it doesn't exist? I certainly contend that an individual can be plenty creative while being constrained inside the box. If you are told you must play a human, a paladin, and that you worship Tyr, sure, those are constraints, However, you're pretty f***ing dull if you can't find a way to make that interesting and unique in your party. And I know that that may be an insulting thing to say, but I don't care. Exactly. There are so many things that distinguish us from each other, from one another, even when we have all of those things in common. I work in the IT department of a bank. Everyone that I work with, this is a very large corporation, it's in the top 100 or 200 corporations in the world by size and by finance. The people that I work with in terms of all of these basic checkboxes tend to line up about the same. To the best of my knowledge, we're all human. To the best of my knowledge, we're all IT people. We all have relatively similar incomes because there's an income scale for the positions we hold. And while I don't know the exact income of my coworkers, I do believe that at least the pay grade that they are paid to for that position is public information. Well, not public, public, but it's within the bank available to anyone who would want to look it up. And so I know that many of these factors about our lives are identical, but are we all the same person? No, there's huge differences between us. 
You know, there are vast differences in personality in terms of our quirks, our strengths, our weaknesses, the way that we approach problems, the way that we interrelate with each other. Some of us are friendly. Some of us not so much. Some of us are moody. Some of us not so much. Some of us like this food or that food or don't like this food or that food or have dietary restrictions or have this interest versus that interest. Some of us do role-playing game podcasts. There's one guy who's a professional I don't know, MMA, boxer or something. He's in some form of semi-professional fighting, very athletic guy. We've got people who go out and run marathons, you know, some people who are married, some people who aren't. There's all of this diversity in who we are that doesn't require any of us having to come to work as the dwarven barbarian to stand out amongst everyone else. And I think something else that frustrates me as a GM, maybe this is where we'll end this, is not just the stories that I can't tell. You know, once again, I can't explore the story of politics and the Wizards of Thay if you guys won't all play Wizards of Thay. But it also kind of screws with the stories that I can tell. Because, for example, we were talking about for our next AP, and we're still hammering out exactly what we're going to play, one of the ideas we floated was a homebrew sci-fi game. One of the people is going to participate, express an interest in playing the ship's AI, which is really out of bounds within this game for a variety of reasons. But if this person plays the ship's AI, now I have to create certain facets of the universe that I otherwise did not want to delve into. I am now compelled to tell a particular story that I otherwise did not want to tell. Because I must deal with, well, how is the rest of the universe reacting to the presence of a highly sophisticated artificial intelligence? What does this thing do when everybody walks off the ship? Does it have a robot body it follows people around in? What if I don't have rules ready to go for that? Or we pick a system to use and it doesn't have anything that easily accommodates that. You know, now I have to start thinking about, well... In this future society, how are they legislating these things? How are they monitoring them? How are they controlling them? What happens when they try to go through customs and they get a detailed scan of what's on their person looking for cybernetics or genetic modification and one of them's a damned artificial intelligence? See, this is where I have to resist being emotional, but my first question, my first instinct is, what is your... damage why (laughs) is it that you have to play something that is so outside the scope you know the game you were there when i wrote the game why are you playing something that is outside the tone and the theme and the mechanic are you just trying to be a thorn in my side is you literally your character pitch was to make my life difficult, not just to be a contrarian, but to actually cause me discomfort. How about I don't game with you? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> God, that makes me so fucking mad because can you just play along? Can please, can you just play along? Oh my God. Okay. So I got to go on a bit of a rant here. That's this an adjacent topic. Oh my God. It is not the exact same topic, but talk about this kind of quirking people. Uh, I mean, this is what won the show on. So for years I was the organizer within the group. Okay. So within my circle of friends for many, many years, 
if we were going to hang out, we were all going to go see a movie. We were all going to play mini golf, whatever. And this goes back a ways in my life. But it was true for a long time before it wasn't. And it would always be like, okay, how about we all go play mini golf? And let's say there's five or six of us within the friend group. And you know what? Mini golf really is not my first choice of what to do tonight. But it's something kind of neutral that everyone can participate in. And the point of this really is we're friends. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. Nobody's going to be miserable. This isn't something anyone's averse to. And then there'll always be one person be like, well, I'd rather go and see a movie instead. And if we don't see that movie, I'm not coming along. And I'll be, okay, fine. How are you guys with going to see this movie? Because so-and-so wants to see that movie. Well, now somebody else is going to drop out. So, like, okay, fine. Well, what if instead of that, what if we go over to a restaurant? Well, what restaurant? Well, maybe what about this one? Well, if we're having that type of food, then I'm out. And it pretty soon got down to it's like, man, I can't deal with this anymore. It's like there, I am the one person at the locus of all of this, right? Who's like, I want to do something with my friends. And no, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to do something I'm averse to for some reason. But my friends I, are people I love enough that I can put up with anything that's not perfect A-plus gold medal perfection <laughs> for the sake of my relationships with these other people. Because maybe if it's a silver medal activity to me, but I'm still going to enjoy the company of my friends such that it becomes a gold medal event for that reason. And holy crap, I could never get anyone else to compromise, which is why years back I quit doing it. I quit being the planner. And now it seems like within my circle of friends, Julie has sort of taken that mantle. And I have given her the only gift I can, which is I am cooperative. When she says, mm-hmm. how about this? Unless, once again, it's something that I am just completely against for some weird reason that I just cannot do, then... I do it. I shut up. I participate. I don't sit there and complain the whole time. What is wrong with us that we can't just, as people... Compromise? Get along? No. Look at the person <laughs> who says, I don't want to play mini golf. I want to go see movie X. All I needed to know is that you're not coming to play mini golf with the rest of us. We're done. Yeah. There, there, there's no compromise. There's no whatever. The rest of us, the group of us are going to do this. You do not want to yeah. go. You and I are still friends. Great. Buddy, we'll catch you on the flip side. I hope you enjoy whatever that movie it is. Uh, and I could give you the reasons for why that wasn't an easy answer for me. It became a necessary answer, but it would be a huge tangent, way off topic. That but, would take 30 minutes but to in explain. Gaming, that is my answer. Yeah. Right? yeah. If I, my current Savage Worlds game, if somebody said, well, Mike, I, I really want to be a professor, I would say, that's cool. You should play a professor in somebody else's Savage Worlds game. I hope you have a great time. Yeah. I really do. Because this game is about students. Well, and, and we can talk about this a little bit more in the next episode, but that comes into the place of where, okay, so you play with the same five guys all the time. This is your group. Yeah. For all we know, you're in the middle of nowhere, but you know, you have five guys that play together all the time and- Joe really wants to play something and you've played five campaigns doing what everyone else wants to do. Now you've got this other guy who's really wanting to do this. You have to do a little bit of compromising and adjusting. And then we can talk about that in the next one, you know, cause you can't just to shove him off to the completely off to the side and say, you can't play with us because you don't want to play with those kind of things. If you're 
consistently playing with the same group. And you no. want to give some some place for that. So that's so yes, if they're being a dick to be a dick, you know, no, you can play with another game. In some cases, which we'll talk about, I assume next uh, you know episode, you're going to have those unique situations. We're going to need that. Yeah. All right, so we're going to close this one out here. Check the show notes for a link to WashingCon. Once again, if you're either in the Washington, D.C. area or are interested in coming to that area on March 26th and 27th, Broder, Julie, and I will be up there doing some talks, running some games, having a great time. Please do check the website because there is a requirement for proof of vaccination and you do have to wear a mask. This is, has nothing to do with our decision. This is not the convention's decision. These are the rules. These are the laws. Not here to debate it. Just telling you that's the case. Whatever. So check the link, and I hope we will see some of you there. And one way or another, we will catch you on the next show. All right, guys, get out the dice. We're going to play Bard the Bardman. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.